Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and he, they may not understand. Now the, people, uh, the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Amen, amen. Thank you, Scott, for that. Good morning. It's good to know you already know the process of sitting down. But as you do, if you would, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the passage that Scott just read, Luke 8, uh, verses 4 through 15. This is going to be our our passage of study this morning. We're going to be looking to it as we turn our attention to the preaching of God's Word. Luke 8, 4 through 15. I had a friend once that, uh, well, it may be a surprise and shock to you that I had a friend. <laughs> and, and really, it wasn't my friend, but it was my younger brother's friend, so <laughs> there's that. But our, our families were, were friends of each other, and uh, yeah, there was two brothers in their family, and, and three in mine, and and uh, my older brother and my younger brother, they were the same age as, as those two. And I was just kind of in the middle, um, middle child, you know, those kind of things. But uh, good friends and uh, family friends, you know, our parents knew each other from when they were young. Uh, their dad helped my dad to build a deck on his house. I mean, that's what friends do, right? They help build decks. Whew. But there's a lot of memories at their house, a lot of a lot of good times, ping pong in the attic. There was uh, listening to a 45 record with the song Red Red Wine on it. 
they had a, 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 a closet that went almost the, half the length of their house. And, and we would get in that closet going from one bedroom to the bathroom, which is kind of weird. But, but it would be our, our, our secret little tunnel. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you ladies going to this, this retreat that's got, the, supposedly this place has got secret rooms in it. I mean, that's cool, right? That's like, that's like the dream right there. But man, yeah, uh, my friend's house and memories, movies. We watched movies a lot. And uh, The Never-Ending Story, that was the first time that I seen that movie. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, when I was asked to speak at his funeral, I recalled that a memory, a scene from that movie reminded me of him and the, the hurt and the loss and the struggle. But you know what I remember also? Derry, I'm getting all emotional. I'm going to blame you. <laughs> I remember sitting at our kitchen in my mom's house and and he and I sitting there and, and he began to ask me about church and a, about faith and, and I started sharing with him what Jesus has done in my life. I started sharing with him the, the, the truth of the gospel and, and what it means to believe that if you confess with your mouth that, the, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. And I communicated this to him. And I even, I was so blunt and bold to ask him, I said, do you believe in that? And he said he did. But you know, not much happened since then. And when he died, that was the end of Opportunities for conversation. Opportunities just to talk. But I struggled with it because we know that in our faith that, that it, it is a foundation to, to what we believe that, that salvation comes through Christ alone. That it is, is, is grace and faith alone. And there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can, we can perform. There's no sense of morality code that we can bring upon us that's going to make God like us better. That's, that's wrong. That's a different, it's a different program. That's not what we're a part of. That's not what we believe in. And so I, I wanted that conversation that I had with him, I wanted it to be enough. I wanted it to count. But there's something, too, to the nature of what's genuine faith. What's faith that really believes and isn't just lip service of someone just saying something because they want you to quit talking. And so I struggled with it. And I, and I, I, I went and I looked at this passage specifically, the parable of the sower. And I wanted to find my friend there. I wanted to see where he fits in. You know, and I, I still, I somewhat struggle with that. That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. And I tend to rely more on God's grace now that the God's grace is before and God's grace is after. And he's going to do with his mercy what he wants to do with it. And that's his prerogative. 
But I did come to find out that what I was looking for this parable to do wasn't the best approach to reading scripture. I was taking what was my experience and what my emotional needs were, and I was pouring that into the word and looking to see how it fits with what I'm bringing into it. I've come to realize that actually what I need to do is understand what the context of the story is. See, when it was spoken then and when Jesus shared the story and when they they communicated the gospel and when they wrote it down, people started to realize that this is God's message. This is God's truth. And so it's in that circumstance and, and that culture and those things going on in that context that we realize that God spoke and God's preserved it in a, in a fantastic and mighty way in, in the Bible. And this is, this is the only ancient writing that we have that is much documented and historical articles that go along with it that far exceeds anything else out there that we ever find. But I look at the scripture and I realize that this parable isn't talking about how we can categorize people, how we can determine whether somebody's in or somebody's out. Because you got on the one end, you got the path, right, that the devil takes away the seed, and there's no belief. And on the other side, you got somebody who's full blown, blown harvest, you know, a hundredfold doing mighty works for God. And then there's the rest of us in the middle. That's where do we land, right? But that's not what this parable is about. And so you might be asking, well, what is this parable about? And that's a good question. I'm glad you've asked it. In fact, I came prepared today to talk about that very thing. So, uh, timely on your part. But if you would, let's look at, at Luke. Luke 8, verse 5. And we're going to read this parable again. A farmer went out to plant a seed, and he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks and it began to grow, but the plant soon withered and died for the lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that it grew up with and choked out the tender plants. And still other seed fell on fertile soil. The seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Parables are an interesting communicative tool. The more we try to dissect them, the more we try to tear them apart and and piece them together and, and figure them out, the more they actually start to lose their intent. It's like trying to explain a joke. Right? The joke's funny because in the moment you feel it, you experience it, the way, it, the way it's delivered and the, and, and the way it's told. But when you, you go back and you start to explain the, you know, the nuances of, you know, what a bar is and, and it loses its, its punch. And it's the same with a parable. And so I'm going to explain it today.
But their purpose, it's less about communicating theology and it's more about getting a response from those who hear it, those who read it. And we can see this when Jesus tells parables, especially when the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were present. And he would say a parable and boy, did they respond. They got angry. They got angry because they knew that he was talking about them. And that's what we do with parables. We can, we can start to identify with a character or, or with something that's told in the story. And when we start comparing these, these different aspects of it and these different elements of it, we see what we're supposed to do in response. Whether it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son, we can identify with a character in these stories and we, we instinctively start to pick up on what, what we're supposed to do. But you know what's even more interesting about this parable is that it created some confusion as to what was being told, why was being told. I can imagine Andrew kind of leaning over to Peter and like clearly, okay, we're supposed to listen and understand, but I don't. You got any ideas? And Peter's like, I'll, I'll handle it. Hey, Jesus, first of all, Great story. I mean, it's spot on. I mean, I felt it, you know, I, I felt it. And I'm just, there's some things that I'm ruminating on and I, I kind of want to pick your brain on and see what you think. Good, good. So, so I think that maybe there's some confusion out there, you know, as to why you're saying these things. And, and maybe more specifically with this parable with, you know, the, the, you know, the farmer and, you know, him sowing the seed and, I mean, I get it, you know, I, I get it that, that, you know, as long as there's a, a bountiful harvest, you know, what's lost in the beginning doesn't, doesn't really matter as long as there's a net gain there. So, I mean, I understand all that, but with the, uh, yeah, with the listening part, maybe, maybe some folks are confused at what that means. So if you could, yeah, yeah, what, what'd you mean on that? <laughs> And so Jesus tells him and kind of shares with him what, what his purpose is and why he's telling these parables. And then he almost is, is like, well, let's put a pin in that and, and, and we'll get back to that in a minute. Let me, let me explain to you what this parable means. And so he's looking at his disciples and he starts to tell them that the seed is, is the word. It's the message. It's, it's why we're here. It's, it's what we're doing it's the kingdom of God that, that is here and is come and is coming. And it's, 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 it's what we're about. It's what I'm about. It's what I'm sharing. And it's, it's the message of the good news that we're putting out there. And there's going to be people that hear it. But are they listening? And will they understand? You see, there's going to be people that are like packed earth that it's been trampled on. And the seed's going to fall on them, but then the bird of the air is going to come and steal it away. And this is the devil at work so that they don't believe and so that they're not saved. But then there's this other dirt that's, that's over here in the rocky ground that you know has some moisture or has some some nutrients in it some minerals that have that have leached out of the surrounding hills 
And, you know, the, and the cycles of life and death have, have infused that, that soil and dirt with, with some, some quick nutrients. And so soon as moisture comes, those, those things sprout up and they're excited. But when it starts to dry out, they fall away. And see, there's people that are going to be excited about what we're doing. There's people that are going to be excited about the, the hope of our message and, and, and the love that we share and, and the miraculous things that are going on here and what we're about. And, and they want to be a part of it. And they're going to jump on board. But when things get hard, when trouble comes, and trouble will come, they fall away. And then there's this soil over here where the seed falls among the weeds. And, and the seed's able to grow. It, it, it takes roots in and it, and it grows and it begins to, to stretch up into the sky and to welcome the, the warm sun rays. But eventually all these other thorns and thistles, these sticky plants, they begin to crowd around it. And these people's cares, the, the things that they're anxious about, the security that they find in their wealth, anxious about the, the pursuit of their own happiness. These things that, that are consuming them begin to choke out the word. And the word's not able to mature and it's not able to do what it's supposed to do and, and create seed and a harvest. But then, then there's this cultivated soil. The soil that's been prepared. The soil that, that's, that's been enriched. And the soil that readily accepts the word. It readily accepts the seed. And, and the word is able to take deep roots. And it finds moisture and strength. And it grows. And it matures and there's goodness and there's beauty and, and there's patience and endurance in this soil. And it finds itself being able to produce and have a harvest. And so now we can, we can find where we are in this parable. We can identify with where we are. And it's not the seed it's not that the disciples were to be scattered or we're to be scattered, because Jesus said that the seed is the word. And you know, it's not the farmer. Some have interpreted this parable to mean that we're supposed to preach the gospel indiscriminately. But Jesus says that the seed, the word, is his. It's the farmer's. The farmer is God. The farmer is Christ. Rather, we are to identify with the soil. And with these four comparisons, we ask ourselves, what kind of soil are we? And in doing that, we further ask, what's our response to be? And through it all, we recognize a need to cultivate our lives to let the Word do its job. So this morning, we're going to be looking at four counterformative cultivators to aid us in this task. I'll say that three times fast. The first, and I would encourage you to write this down, 
in how we cultivate our lives to let the word do its job is to understand which world systems are packed earth. To understand which world systems are packed earth. Take a look back at verse 12. It says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seed that's on the path, it's exposed. And the birds, they can easily see it and they can swoop down and they can nab the seed before it's able to get buried in the soil awaiting moisture and sunlight. And the path is packed from foot travel and it's not conditioned to receive the seed. Jesus states these two realities, the birds of the air and the heavy foot traffic as evidence of the kingdom of the devil. The bird of the air is a reference in this parable to the, to the spiritual realm. As they are of the sky or of the heavens. The imagery in the Bible throughout, it connects the, the idea of, of the spiritual with breath and wind. And, and even as, as Ryan pointed out last week in understanding the, the Hebrew word for the soul, that it's connected to the throat. So that where air moves, that's where the spirit is. And not in our sense of physics that we understand the world today, but the air, the where the air moves is because we don't see it. And so there are forces at play that we don't see. And this is, this is what they hold to as being the spiritual realm. And so Jesus is tying in a common belief concerning the nature of spiritual forces and the trajectory of humanity. That's the bulk of humanity from all over the globe, from past to future, will be the single focused path of autonomous rebellion. We consistently will choose my way, my will, my life. And we have a tendency to fight against anything or anyone who says otherwise. And there have been great systems of power that have been created throughout history so that people who wanted to ensure that their way remains are able to keep it. King's edicts to their people. Property owners of slaves. Coalitions of political activists. I mean, really, you think about it, churches and families at times. And not all systems are inherently evil, though some clearly are. My wife and I, we've put safeguards in and have communicated to our children in certain ways so that they don't adopt a worldview that, that considers that one human life has more value than another. But there are systems in power that do just that. An ancient belief in the East is that there were these spiritual rulers that guided nations and people to think and behave in certain ways. So here in this parable, Jesus is saying that the, the hard hearts of the people and that they, they reject the word are products of spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. And there is a battle. I mean, we can, we can see it manifested today. There's, there's slander against the church that it's full of hypocritical, conservative hate mongers. 
There's slander against the Bible that it's irrelevant, outdated, a religious relic of the past that has no bearing in an age of science and tolerance. But you know, this isn't just a case of the devil made me do it either. There's culpability in in rejecting the word due to a hard heart, due to compacted soil. The point is the receptivity of the soil here is a spiritual matter. Meaning in order for the soil to be broken up, there needs to be a Holy Spirit spade taken to it. And this is not something a person can do on their own. But I will say that if, if you're here today, or if you're watching online, and you, you find yourself resistant to the things of God, I would encourage you to ask yourself why. I would encourage you to ponder why there are people who speak so fervently against the Bible, against the church, and and most importantly, against God. And ask, what do they have to gain in convincing you to think like they do? But I would also encourage you to do something, do something different. Do something that might seem uncomfortable or unnatural and, and pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask God to show you where it is that you're, you're, you're more in line with these ideas and concepts that just seem to, to move people in directions. Harvest Decatur, we need to understand which world systems are packed earth. That's kind of an aggressive first point, I know. But better is coming. The second to write down is to dig out from our lives fleeting experiences. Dig out from our lives fleeting experiences. And we'll look at verse 13. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while then they fall away when they face temptation. When I was first really truly starting to engage in my, my walk in faith, engage in the things of God, I became consumed with reading the Bible. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I can remember times where I would go out and, and there was a table on, on our deck and I would sit at that table for hours Reading the word. I was like 17. I'm a year older than than my two oldest. How many of you parents out there would love to be able to find your kids reading the Bible for hours? Right? I know I'm excited when I see them doing it. Now, and don't get me wrong, I'm a slow reader. So, I mean, I wasn't making much ground in it. But I was, I was consumed by it. I, I, was, I was passionate about it, and I, I needed to be in it, and I needed more of it, and it was, it, was, it was breathing life into me. But, you know, as time went on, and I started to get into uh, studies and, and learning more about how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, even, even learning how to communicate and, and, and preach the Bible, I started to, to lose sight of some things. I became less enamored with the consumption of its pages, and it became more engrossed in the analyzation of its meanings. And eventually, I would, 
I would long for those moments where, where that freshness and that connection would happen. And for years, this affected my interaction with the Bible. It, it affected my interaction with God. I, I wanted times of new experience and fresh encounters with the Spirit. And occasionally it would happen. But, and I would be overjoyed and, uh, at this need, this, this desire for newness. It developed a habit of this spiritual roller coaster in my life. I would remember my past experiences and I would stop reading the Bible and praying. And, and then I would eventually start to feel guilty and I'd get back into reading, praying. And, and I would experience a moment and I'd be rekindled and, and, and refreshed, and, but it didn't last long. And then there would be a season of dryness that followed I'd remember my past experiences and I'd stop reading because I wasn't getting that exhilarating encounter. And then the cycle goes on. But then I was challenged. I was challenged by a brother in the Lord that I needed to be more committed to reading the Bible. And that challenge was tied to my desire for, for influence, my desire for leadership. And so I, I went about it. I got an app on my phone that begins to track how many days in a row I am in the Word. And in two days went by, and three days, and a week, and a month. A hundred days went by with no break in my streak. Two hundred. Three hundred. 360 days, a whole year of every day being in the Word. I think I hit 500, and then I was up late one night, and I was reading before bed, but the, the clock. <laughs> that clock ticked over to midnight, and poof, streak's gone. I threw my phone, and... <laughs> But it was upsetting. And I, 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 I quit tracking it after that. There's no point anymore. <laughs> no, but for most of that time, you know, I, I didn't experience those things that used to draw me in. For most of those times, I didn't have those moments where I felt really connected to God. It was, I mean, some people call it checking a box. I was doing it. I was committed to it. But you know what? Something happened. My desire and my need for those experiences was replaced by something else. There was, there was a confidence. And there was a, there was a removal of this, this cycle of guilt and mania. And, and I had a peace. That just being in the word over and over brought about a peace in my soul. And it was good. And to this day, I thank that brother in the Lord who encouraged me. I thank God's Spirit for giving me the strength and the, the perseverance to continue to do that because on my own, on my own, I'm a roller coaster. Up and down, up and down. <laughs> I can be a passionate dude. I can. There are, there are things that come up, a new, a new enlightenment, a new, a new idea, a new program, and, and I begin to get excited about it. 
And if you come talk to me when I'm first starting to wrap my head around what that is, I'm telling you, we're going to go change the world. You and I, we're going to make a difference because this thing is what we've been missing. This is, this is the thing that's been gone the entire time, and this is what it's all about. And if you're not on board, you're going to miss what God's heart is in this, I'm telling you. And you come talk to me in two weeks. You'd be like, hey, how's that thing going? I'm like, yeah, it's... It's, I mean, that's something you could do. <laughs> what, what do you mean something you can do? Like a couple weeks ago, you're telling me this is, this is God's plan for everyone, and now you're all, meh. That's what it is, isn't it? We can get excited about things. We can get passionate about things. We want, we want new experiences. We want new relationships. We want a, a new job. We want a new church. We want a, a new way, a new plan, a new something. New kids. <laughs> Just more, not, not different. I'm, I love you all. I love you all. But we get wrapped up in this, this, this desiring something, something fresh and something new. But what happens when things get hard? The reason I share the story about the, about the, the scripture reading is that there's something to be said for commitment. There's something to be said for commitment. And so if, if, if you're finding yourself in this Stage in this soil that, that you want new experiences, that you want new things and, and you're seeking after them and that's, that's what's consuming you, then what do we do? What's our response? Our response is to get to work. See, in ancient Israel, they, they, they dealt with this problem with the soil. They would actually go in and they would dig out these deep rocks from the ground and they would they would build a retaining wall and they would put dirt in it so they'd have this terraced farming ground it takes work it takes commitment it takes a dedication and so what do we do what do we do when our marriage gets hard when our job gets hard what do we do when when life seems to start to go a different direction that we did not anticipate, what do we do? Do we fall away and find something else? The word is looking to transform our lives, but if there's no depth to our soil, we need to dig out the rocks. So if our marriage gets hard, we put in the work to cultivate the relationship. If our relationships in our community become strained, we need to have a commitment to endure and to seek the betterment of others. If our pastor leaves, is that a little too on the nose? <laughs> I love you, brother. Better is coming. We need to cultivate our lives to let the word do its job. And part of that is to dig out from our lives these fleeting experiences. Write this down as our third counterformative cultivator. Carefully pull up the weeds of secular liturgies. Carefully pull up weeds of secular liturgies. 
We read in verse 14, And the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. Now you're probably asking, what are secular liturgies? And that's another good question. Y'all are asking great questions today. Keep it up. Keep it up. But yeah, so liturgies are items that are used to help in the church to help form our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And traditionally, they've been things like reciting the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer. And those of us familiar with our style here at Harvest Decatur might not think that we use liturgies, but we do. In fact, our, our process of our order of service is a type of liturgy. We gather together. We sing spiritual songs. The word is read. We hear an interpretation of the word. We sing a song of benediction and we receive another liturgical expression. You are loved. You are sent. And so this is a pattern of expressions of worship that are designed to guide our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors towards communal faith. It's designed to steer us towards the things of God. Secular liturgies are, are things in life that steer us another way. They lead us away from the things of God. And I don't mean that they lead us to bad things versus good things. No, rather they satisfy longings. You know, I have heard it said that God and the things of God are the only things that can truly satisfy us and the things in this world will disappoint us. I'm not so sure on that anymore. I think the danger of the secular liturgies is the fact that they do satisfy us. We long for belonging, and we find it in sports teams, membership clubs, political parties, homeschool groups, creationist advocacy organizations. Guilty. It's not that these are bad things, but when they begin to satisfy our longings that God wants to reserve for him alone, then they become something that chokes out the power of the word. Then are they, they become our cares and, and what we get anxious about. When we long for significance, to whom or what do we turn to satisfy our desire? To what do we turn when we long for acceptance? Validation, purpose. What satisfies our desire for being known, loved and cared for, valued? And these are things leading us towards the, are these things leading us towards the satisfaction of God? Or are they cultivating a different plant in our lives? What are the things that we do that do something to us? So if we identify with this soil, what's our response? It's pulling weeds. Not just ugly weeds, but sticky ones that have barbs and thorns. Stuff that's not pleasant to grab. These things that have captured our hearts. They may be something in which we have been deeply embedded. Ideas that seem to make so much sense, but they stir in us a desire for more engagement of that idea rather than drawing us closer to Christ. It may be a relationship that's been instrumental 
in our emotional safety and security, but has become a source of belonging that seems to have priority when comparing our yearning for God. These can be difficult weeds to pull, to reorient our loves. It may mean we need to step away from an organization for a time. It may mean we need to sever some ties that we're only committed to because of our connection with this secular liturgy. It may mean that we need to denounce something that we've stood for. These take careful consideration and the counsel of God's word and God's people is needed. But we need to cultivate our soil to let God's word do its job. And if we're not careful, these things that satisfy our desires can begin to choke out the word. They can draw us away from the calling of better things. So we need to understand which world systems are packed earth. We need to dig out from our lives fleeting experiences. And we need to carefully pull up weeds of secular liturgies. I hope by now that you're, you're picking up on the pattern of identifying which soil we are in and, and, and what's our response supposed to be. But if you're feeling like this is starting to sound a little bit legalistic with all this we need to stuff, let me, let me take a brief moment and point out a fundamental reality in this parable. That it doesn't matter how much effort and work we put into cultivating our own heart soil we can chop at the packed earth with a pickaxe. We can dig up all of the rocks and all of the boulders. We can prune and de-weed until this land is pristine and optimal condition. We can be the perfect specimen for growing life. But if the seed, the word, is not present, there is no growth. There is no fruit there is no harvest. We are simply dirt. This parable is a fantastic representation of the relationship between the divine will and the human responsibility. Jesus' call to hear and understand is an invitation to partner with God in his grand designs of, of humans recognizing God through their efforts through which God does what only God can do and we do what God designed us to do. In this, we need to cultivate our lives to let the word do its job. And this brings us to our fourth counterformative cultivator. You can write this down. Tend our hearts soil with goodness and beauty. Tend our hearts soil with goodness and and beauty. Verse 15 reads, And the seed that fell on the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. This is it. This is the comparative choice of what this parable has been drawing our attention to. To get us to understand that God wants us to be good soil and to enact a desire in us of wanting to be good soil. 
when we hear this parable, we can, we can see ourselves in, in these different areas, these different soils, maybe, maybe even more than one. But when we come to this one, and we hear about this, this good soil, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of what's going on there. And we desire to be that soil, to be the one with the harvest. But this isn't just about softening dirt, digging up rocks, pulling weeds. Good soil has more to it than removing obstacles. We need goodness and beauty, honesty, patience in our soil. You know, the, the, the trampling of the spiritual battles, it doesn't go away when, when our soil is properly prepped. The excitement of new things in life doesn't just go away when we decide to be committed. The temptations and trials of life are not gone when we remove what gets in the way. And those weeds are going to still continue to grow and encroach and creep in. No matter how many times we pull them. In fact, there may be new trials that we face. But one of the great things that takes place when our heart's soil is cultivated and the word is taken deep root is that it grows into a hearty plant. That God's spirit dwells among us, giving us strength, giving us encouragement, giving us courage and the resilience to withstand. And my fellow plants standing next to each other, deeply rooted into the same soil, creates an interlocking web of roots that keep the soil safer from erosion. We're not alone in life's struggles. But the goodness and the beauty of this field, it's not just about what's done to and for us personally. But the goodness and beauty of this field is, is, is what's reproduced in us to offer others the same opportunity. That our cultivated hearts are transformed by the power of God's word. And it goes out as, as volunteers at a food pantry. And develop connections with staff and patrons alike where the word can be shared, spared, shared, spread. Too many C words in there, and now I'm stuck on the S's. Or we're a small businessman who hires someone, not only to train them in a trade and a craft, but to help show them the possibilities of a field of harvest and shares the word with them. A mother nurturing and caring for her children, who's well aware of their treacherous little sinful hearts, and so she's deliberate about helping them to begin to cultivate their own lives and to be receptive of God's word. And when we have spent a lifetime doing this, we will look around us and we will see all the lives that God has transformed because of the seed that sprung forth from the plant of our maturity. This is better. This is harvest. 
You know, there are irrigation techniques and fertilizers and you name it. We could tie in with this passage, uh, you know, and, and, and point to other practices that we do within our lives and, and within the church that help cultivate our hearts, leading our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors towards the things of God. One of those that we do do is communion, where we contemplate and partake in the drink and the bread. And it's to remind us of Christ's death and call us to proclaim his life until he returns. So I'm, I'm going to pray, and, and Pastor Tony's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in communion. But for those of you who are, who are watching online, the feed's going to end after I pray. But I wanted to, to take an opportunity before that and just say that you are loved, you are sent, and uh, I look forward to the time that we get to see each other face to face. Harvest Decatur, let's pray. Gracious God, you are a God full of mercy and love. Your forgiveness is mind-boggling. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you're going to do, we look to you and we lean on you to help us to be the soil that you want us to be. By your spirit, Lord, give us strength to change. By your spirit, give us the words to encourage one another. And we praise you. We praise you for your gift of your son. And the sacrifice that he paid on the cross to die when it was not his to die. For you are life itself. You took on our pain and our suffering. You took on our sin. To make a way. To breathe life into us. To make us more than just dirt. Lord, I thank you for that. Bless this church, Lord, as we go about our week. Help us to be mindful of you. Help us to be mindful of our purpose and our cause. And give us opportunities to speak of your love. To share your grace. And bless us now, Lord, as we finish out the, the remainder of this time together in honoring, glorifying, and worshiping you. It is in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.